The Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and hills, fruit trees and cedars, wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. And he raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. The New Testament reading for this day is going to be uh, Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, and then chapter 22, 16 through 17, 20 through 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more pain or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who has seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bringer of morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. 
He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Uh, happy Sunday. Um, Matt and I noticed in the office that we are very similarly dressed today, which uh, was not intentional. We had, you know, someone pointed it out, and we're like, oh, yeah, we got the same jacket. And then I looked a little closer and noticed, like, he's got a haircut. I haven't had one in a while. My glasses are chipped. My jacket's all wrinkly. My pants, hems coming, and my shoes are all dusty, and couldn't help but feel a little bit like a before and after picture. <laughs> like, I'm the before, and Matt's the after, so congrats, Matt. I'm, I, I'm really happy for you. Uh, so, uh, that sort of has nothing to do with this sermon, but it does a little bit, because we are uh, looking at... Revelation and the vision of St. John of uh, not just the, the before, not just the now, but the, the one day, the, the after, uh, when all things are made new. Uh, so let's pray together as we jump into Revelation. God, uh, when we turn to your word, we find truth. In your word, we see the reality of the way things are. And God, we come to worship today, we come to these ancient texts, our scriptures, again, desperately in need of reminding of the truth of things, desperately in need of hope about the way things are. So Lord, uh, open our minds, open our hearts, open our lives to listen today to listen for your still, small voice, speaking to each one of us in our need, blessing us, comforting us, healing us, leading us into abundant life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are finally at uh, the end of the story, which it turns out is really a new beginning. That as we see in the great drama of John's letter to these seven churches in this strange, mysterious book called Revelation, uh, we see the final battles between good and evil, God and Satan, 
We see God's reckoning once and for all with all that is broken and wrong with this world. And we see in full the great victory which God has wrought and which God will one day make uh, fully manifest in this creation. And uh, it's a picture of hope. And we need hope in this world because I don't know if you've noticed, but life is hard. Do you ever feel that way? I feel that way quite often. Just the sense of why does life have to be so hard? I, uh, there's a family I've been praying for uh, a lot who I deeply care about and was praying for this week and just had a point uh, of, in my prayers for them, um, you know, I've been praying for them for a few months and just praying and praying and praying and sometimes even as you pray for people or as you pray for a situation in your own life, you pray for some cause in the world, sometimes it, it, it feels like even as you pray, things just feel like they get worse and worse. And this, this family that I was praying for, that I care deeply about, it just, you know, it's like one thing after another. And I found myself just on my knees uh, on the floor at home this week, um, crying out to God, just praying, Jesus, Jesus, help them, Jesus. Jesus, bring mercy Bring healing in the situation. Bring some kind of relent of the, the struggle and the pain. And sometimes that's, that's all our prayers amount to. I think of the, the words from Romans 8 that Paul says that sometimes uh, our spirit just, um, with the Holy Spirit, groans just as all of creation is groaning in this eager expectation. That, that life is full of this, this pain, this suffering, and sometimes all we can do is put into words, Jesus, help me. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come and deliver us. And I'm, you know, experiencing this this week, feeling some of the heaviness of this, feeling some of the heaviness of all the things in this world, seeing the, the COVID stats as Michigan is now, you know, number one or number 50, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, when it comes to just this COVID outbreak and this pandemic, which just keeps going and going and going, and feeling like a heaviness for just different people that I'm praying for and... Uh, people in the hospital or people just battling mental illness or other things or just really, really hard situations. Uh, and, and I'm holding all this and I'm also sitting in this text of victory in Revelation, Revelation 21 and 22, and wrestling with the connection between this, this, this pain that is so much of our everyday experience of life and this just great picture of God's victory over evil. 
And something in the text that, that I've, I was able to find as a connecting point, as a way of uh, bringing these, these two realities together, is to remember that in Revelation, heaven and earth have not yet become one. That what we see at, at the end of the story, this great finale, is something that is yet to come. That God's kingdom is, in a sense, as we say, already, but in a very real sense, not yet. And I started to remember how this, this letter that is the book of Revelation uh, was written in a very specific time to a very specific people. Jen talked about this a little bit last week, reminding us that that Revelation, among other things, is not just this great apocalyptic poem, this vision which St. John has received from God's heavenly angel, but it is a letter to struggling Christians. It is a letter to these seven churches in the first century who had all sorts of cause for despair. These seven churches, this letter is probably written around year 95 or late at the end of the, the first century, were actually experiencing great suffering. They were uh, experiencing the suffering of uh, the persecution of uh, the Roman Empire. They were experiencing martyrdom. Um, they were looking around at their circumstances and struggling to make the connection between how hard their lives were, the, the struggle of being persecuted and the struggle of the church trying to get along and the struggle within their own individual lives in the pursuit of holiness and the reality that, that the tomb is empty, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, that God has claimed victory over the enemy. And it's to this struggling people that God gives this vision through, uh, gives this, this word of hope through this vision to John. Things are hard now, but things were hard back then. Things have always been hard for God's people. And we can look at the world, and we can look at the climate crisis, and we can look at all the injustice, Joanna praying for, you know, the, the verdict. This week, uh, in the, the case of Kyle Rittenhouse and uh, a young white man who, uh, another case of a, a white man being acquitted for horrendous, murderous violence uh, against black people. And we can cry out, how long, oh Lord. And I take comfort in knowing that, that these cries of how long, oh Lord, have ancient roots, that this injustice that we see and the state of the world, the suffering that we experience is nothing new to God's people. Life is hard, but life has always been hard for Christians, for Israel. And Jesus never promised that life would be anything but hard. In fact, when Jesus called his disciples, when Jesus calls people today, he says, take up your cross and follow me. 
And yes, our lives are full of all sorts of joy and gratitude and, and good things. I'm, I'm not giving a fully balanced picture of the Christian life here, but, uh, but the Christian life is still a struggle in a world so full of violence and evil and death. But there's also good news. God is, in fact, making all things new. And though we don't always see God's victory over sin and evil in our lives and in the world, God is nonetheless reconciling all things all around us and in us, even now, even here. And God's promise is sure that one day God will bring God's redemptive work to full completion. Paul says, Now we see but dimly as looking into a darkened mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Isn't that a wonderful hope? That we have. And as we get this, this great picture, uh, we start to see all the different dimensions of that hope in Revelation 21 and 22. We see that the end of the story, no matter how bad things might appear, no matter how bad things might be now, the end of the story is good. Revelation 21 and 22 is just loaded with all kind of, it's sort of the greatest hits of Old Testament and New Testament imagery. We see the end as a a new beginning. And in the chapters prior to 21 and 22, there's this great final battle and uh, the dragon that is Satan is cast into this lake of burning sulfur. We see God's reckoning with all that is wrong in this world, all the oppression and injustice, God does something about finally and fully and puts an end to all injustice, to all people oppressing other people. God does away with these things, and then what happens is we see a new heaven and a new earth. We see God's presence, God's reality, which is what heaven is. Heaven is God's very presence, all things in their proper order, descending and being married to one like a bride coming and being wed to her bridegroom. We see this disconnect between heaven and earth, which we pray every, for, for the marrying of every time we pray, God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done, may it be on earth as it is in heaven. We see these things finally once and for all coming together in full consummation, in full redeeming in every dimension, in every way. A few of the, the images to note here. Uh, that as God's presence descends and God's uh, full goodness, God's full presence becomes finally fully tangible and real in our experience of this earth, we see uh, 
it's described as there's no longer a temple anymore. The temple being where God's presence was contained, where God's presence in a sense is limited. Now what has happened is that the limits of God's presence have been done away with and God uh, dwells with God's people. These words uh, from Revelation, look, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. And then this promise that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne then says, See, I am making all things new. And he says to John, Write this down, for these things are trustworthy and true. In the, the new heavens and the new earth, not only are death and suffering and evil done away with once and for all. Not only are the tears wiped away from our heads, but there's this, this symmetry that, that exists in this uh, new city full of gardens, something even more wondrous than even the original creation, even the Garden of Eden. There's all these dimensions, if you've noticed that. If uh, it wasn't in the, the, the reading, we kind of read around it a little bit, but in these chapters, there's all these dimensions that, that show the proportionality of the new heavens and the new earth, how it's this perfect cube in height and width and depth. Eugene Peterson, in his book, uh, Reverse Thunder on Revelation, describes this, this symmetry, this perfect balance, as a, a symbol of how perfectly balanced and good and beautiful life will be for us. And he says the symmetry lacks any sort of awkwardness of being off kilter because because life will be fully balanced and there will be no more awkwardness, he says. Those of you who dread awkward situations, you can take courage from knowing that awkwardness will be done away with when we live in God's full presence. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There is abundance of light. The text says there's no more need for light, for lamps, because the Lamb of God, Jesus himself, will be enough light to light the skies and to light and illumine all things in their true beauty. And there's these gemstones which are mentioned, gemstones being full of great color, the light bringing out, when you light a gemstone, it's full beauty. And each of us, and as we see one another, will be lit up with this, this fullness of beauty and uh, everything good in us freed to shine. And there's this imagery of this, this stream, this river of living water. It says that the seas will be done away with, the sea representing chaos and representing this, this great danger. Remember, this is a couple thousand years ago before they, they knew how to cross oceans. 
And seas were just chaotic and dangerous, and, all, and that symbol of, of chaos and danger is done away with, and instead water is harnessed as nourishment. And there are these trees that stand on either side of the river of life, and they bear abundant fruit. Every month they just keep producing more and more good fruit. Humanity, and not just humanity, but all of creation will be set free to flourish. Remember, this isn't the destruction of this old world. There's a lot of bad theology out there about how, that, that if you know the Left Behind series or this old book from the 70s, The Late Great Planet Earth, that really popularized this idea that God will one day destroy the earth and that we're just spiritual beings that will kind of drift off to heaven and live in this ethereal existence. But no, what the scriptures actually teach us is that we don't go off to heaven. Heaven comes down to earth. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. Or it can be translated a renewed heaven, a renewed earth, that, that the two become one. And our final destiny is not immaterial, but a fleshy, material existence. Think of the resurrected Jesus who ate fish and invited his disciples to touch his hands and his side. We will be freed, our bodies will be free from pain and suffering and aging in the way that makes us grow slow and full of pain and weariness. We will be set free to to flourish to be fully embodied and fully alive. Heaven and earth becoming one. And until that day, we we worship as we wait. John has an imperative for us. And worship features heavily in, in the book of Revelation. There's, of course, the, earlier in the book, there's these great scenes of the throne room of God and these pictures of all people, all angelic beings worshiping God in the great throne room. And Revelation bookends that. It ends with this picture of worship. And John is told by the angel, John kind of stumbles into worshiping the angel who brings the vision. Uh, and the angel says, don't worship me. Worship God. You're missing the point. That, and, and redirects John to worship. And it ends with a call to come. To come and worship. And it's God's people, actually. It's the bride with the Spirit inviting all of creation to come and join this great scene of worship. And I think worship is so important now because in our worship now, in the, the not yet of our sometimes very painful existence, it's in the act of worship that we catch glimpses of what's true and what's real and what is to come. I, uh, 
I was reminded this week of uh, a story that comes from Jack Rhoda. If you've been here a few years, you remember Jack Rhoda from when he was an interim pastor here, I think about four years ago. But uh, when we were serving at Church of the Servant, when Jack was a, our, our mentor and pastor there, um, he did a wedding, and he was doing this uh, really fancy New York wedding where it was this black tie event, and uh, a people who were mostly an unchurched group of people um, who didn't really have any background in church or familiarity with the gospel or worship. And Jack did this wedding, and, uh, and he gave them a glimpse and his wife, Carol, was talking with someone at the reception afterwards uh, who said to her, your husband's preaching. It was like looking through a keyhole into a world that I knew nothing about. And she caught a glimpse of the kingdom in that moment. She was awakened to this sense that she was made for something more than just the limits of a consumer-driven American life. And that became for Jack this, this paradigm for his ministry, for his, his preaching, for our worship. That in our time together on Sundays... We, we lean into the keyhole and we peer through and we catch a glimpse of God's kingdom, which is here and now and is breaking in everywhere we see goodness and beauty and truth, and which we'll tell about on Thursday when we have our testimony service and we celebrate stories of gratitude and God showing up, even in the midst of the pain and the struggle. And we see it when we lean into the pain of this world. When rather than turn away from the suffering of this world, we lean into it and we pray and we wrestle. And we actually find God in that when we lean into it hard enough. When we don't shy away. And it's in our worship where we come and we write on our programs that Christ is the King. This is Christ the King Sunday. And we sing songs about how soon and very soon we are going to see the King. We are going to see all of this redemptive work come to fruition. It's in our worship that we remember that the Jesus who comes to us in Christmas will come again and is with us now, is Emmanuel, God with us, and promises to be with us even till the end of, it, end of the age. And who is the one who will one day be the one we get to see face to face? And I'll just close with, with that image, which for me is, is the, the best part of all of this. That God, again, will be our people, that God's presence will be fully among us without any more need for, for mediation. 
and that we shall see God face to face. Let us pray. God, uh, thank you for this good news. God, thank you that the end of the story is one in which all of our hopes and our desires, all of our longings, Lord, all of what we were made for will come to find its home and fulfillment in you. God, feeling the pain of this world in our own lives and in the lives uh, of others and throughout this, this groaning creation, Lord. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. We long for this day. And yet not knowing when you will return, if it will be tomorrow or another 2,000 years. We wait, Lord, in faith. Not a faith that leaves us sitting on our hands, but a faith that leads us to live into your inbreaking kingdom now. That our lives, that our church, the Sherman Street Church, would be a testimony to your grace and your mercy in the city. That it would point us to the things that we don't always see now, but one day shall see in full. God, give us this faith, this hope. Fill our hearts with love. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people prayed. Amen.